Welcome to Winning Slowly, taking a long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. I'm Chris Kreitcho. And I'm Stephen Caradini. And today we're going to talk about Alan Jacobs' 79 Theses on Technology for Disputation. So Alan Jacobs is a professor at Baylor, and he is pretty much the winning slowliest professor we could imagine <laughs> who covers religion, technology, ethics, and art. So this is going to be one of the only episodes on Winning Slowly that we actually talk about all four of them at once. Alan Jacobs is a guy I've been following off and on for a couple of years. And when we bumped into these theses, both of us thought, ooh, these are these are good. These are worth thinking about. And there's a whole series we will link to on the Hedgehog Review at, at the Institute for Advanced Studies and Cultures where they posted the theses and then posted, well, some disputation about them. People going back and forth and arguing with and essentially trying to think through these issues that he raises in these theses. And the whole point was essentially to go through the exercise that people used to go through a lot more of using argument as a way not merely of going at each other, but rather as a way of sharpening each other's thoughts on things and pushing back on weak points in arguments and trying to use the process of dispute as a way to learn from each other and think about things more carefully and thoroughly. So these were put out to that end, and there's been a great conversation, which we commend to you, and as I said, we'll put in the show notes. But we wanted to do something a little bit different today. We've never done anything quite like this at Winning Slowly, and there's a very good chance we'll never do anything quite like it again. But we liked these so much, and we thought Indeed. they were so important that we're actually going to read them to you. And we are going to discuss them a bit afterwards as well. But we're just going to take a few minutes here and read them to you carefully and thoughtfully and let you think about them with us as we go. Particularly because disputation was largely an oral tradition mm -hmm. in the uh, early thousands, 1200s, 1300s, 1400s, when this sort of thing was commonplace. Right. When, when, for example, Luther posted his famous 95 theses, the idea was he put them up so that people could take a look at them, and then they were going to debate them publicly. And they actually did that. And, and a few other things happened afterwards, otherwise known as the Protestant Reformation. But they Just actually did that. <laughs> Just a few. And so yeah. we thought we would bring this to you. Basically, the way this is going to work is I'm going to read the n odd numbered ones. Stephen is going to read the even numbered ones. We're going to try not to butcher anyone's name, but our sincerest apologies if we do. Mm -hmm. And we'll pause where there are pauses in the list. So here we go. Here we go. 1. Everything begins with attention. 2. It is vital to ask, what must I pay attention to? 3. It is vital to ask, what may I pay attention to? 4. It is vital to ask, what must I refuse attention to? 5. To quote, pay, unquote, attention is not a metaphor. Attending to something is an economic exercise, an exchange with uncertain returns. 6. Attention is not an infinitely renewable resource, but it is partially renewable if well invested and properly cared for. 7. 
we should evaluate our investments of attention at least as carefully and critically as our investments of money. 8. Sir Francis Bacon provides a narrow and stringent model for what counts as attentiveness. Some books are to be tasted, others to be swallowed, and some few to be chewed and digested. That is, some books are to be read only in parts, others to be read but not curiously, and some few to be read wholly and with diligence and attention. 9. An essential question is, what form of attention does this phenomenon require? That of reading or seeing? That of writing also? Or silence? 10. Attentiveness must never be confused with the desire to mark or announce attentiveness. Parentheses. Can I learn to suffer without saying something ironic or funny on suffering? Prospero in Auden's The Sea and the Mirror. 11. Mindfulness seems to many a valid response to the perils of incessant connectivity because it confines its recommendation to the cultivation of a mental stance without objects. 12. That is, mindfulness reduces mental health to a single simple technique that delivers its user from the obligation to ask any awkward questions about what his or her mind is and is not attending to. 13. The only mindfulness worth cultivating will be teleological, through and through. 14. Such mindfulness and all other healthy forms of attention, healthy for oneself and for others, can only happen with the creation of and care for an attentional commons. 15. This will not be easy to do in a culture for which surveillance has become the normative form of care. Simone Weil wrote that attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. If so, then surveillance is the opposite of attention. 17. The primary battles on social media today are fought by two mutually surveilling armies, code fetishists and antinomians. 18. The intensity of those battles is increased by a failure by any of the parties to consider the importance of intimacy gradients. 19. Quote, and weeping arises from sorrow, but sorrow also arises from weeping. Unquote. Bertolt Brecht, writing about Twitter. 20. We cannot understand the internet without perceiving its true status. The internet is a failed state. 21. We cannot respond properly to that failed state condition without realizing and avoiding the perils of seeing like a state. 22. If instead of thinking of the internet in status terms, we apply the logic of subsidiarity, we might be able to imagine the digital equivalent of a Mondragon cooperative. 23. The internet groans in travail as it awaits its Jose Maria Arismendiarieta. Twenty-four. Useful strategies of resistance require knowledge of technology's origin stories. Twenty-five. Building an alternative digital commons requires reimagining, which requires re-narrating the past, parenthetical, and not just the digital past. Twenty-six. Digital textuality offers us the chance to restore commentary, to its pre-modern place as the central scholarly genre. 27. 
recent technologies enable a renewal of commentary, but struggle to overcome a post-romantic belief that commentary is belated, derivative. 28. Comment threads too often seethe with resentment at the status of comment itself. Quote, I should be the initiator, not the responder. End quote. 29. Only a Bakhtinian understanding of the primacy of response in communication could genuinely renew online discourse. 30. Nevertheless, certain texts will generate communities of comment around them, communities populated by the humbly intelligent. 31. Blessed are they who strive to practice commentary as a legitimate, serious genre of responsiveness to others' thoughts. 32. And blessed also are those who discover how to write so as to elicit genuine commentary. 33. Genuine commentary is elicited by the scriptural, but also by the humble, but never by the, parenthetically, insistently, canonical. 34. Quote, Since we have no experience of a venerable text that ensures its own perpetuity, we may reasonably say that the medium in which it survives is commentary. End quote. Frank Kermode. 35. We should seek technologies that support the maximally beautiful readerly sequence of submission, recovery, comment. 36. If our textual technologies promote commentary but we resist it, we will achieve a pyrrhic victory over our technologies. Thirty-seven. Quote, Western literature may have more or less begun in Aeschylus's Oresteia with a lengthy account of a signal crossing space, and of the beacon network through whose nodes the signal's message, that of Troy's downfall, is relayed. But now, two and a half millennia later, that network, that regime of signals, is so omnipresent and insistent, so undeniably inserted or installed at every stratum of existence, that the notion that we might need some person, some skilled craftsman, to compose any messages, let alone incisive or, quote, epiphanic, unquote, ones, seems hopelessly quaint, unquote. Tom McCarthy. 38. To work against the grain of a technology is painful to us and perhaps destructive to the technology, but occasionally necessary to our humanity. 39. Quote, technology wants to be loved, unquote, says Kevin Kelly, wrongly. But we want to invest our technologies with human traits to justify our love for them. 40. Kelly tells us what technology wants, but it doesn't. We want, with technology as our instrument. 41. The agency that in the 1970s philosophers and theorists ascribed to language is now being ascribed to technology. These are evasions of the human. 42. Our current electronic technologies make competent servants, annoyingly capricious masters, and tragically incompetent gods. 43. Therefore, when Kelly says, Quote, I think technology is something that can give meaning to our lives, unquote. He seeks to promote what technology does worst. 44. We try to give power to our idols so as to be absolved of the responsibilities of human agency. The more they have, the less we have. 45. Quote, in a sense, there is no God as yet achieved, but there is that force at work making God, struggling through us to become an actual organized existence, enjoying what to many of us is the greatest conceivable ecstasy, 
the ecstasy of a brain, an intelligence, actually conscious of the whole, and with executive force capable of guiding it to a perfectly benevolent and harmonious end. George Bernard Shaw, in 1907, or Kevin Kelly, last week. 46. The cyborg dream is the ultimate extension of this idolatry to erase the boundaries between ourselves and our tools. 47. Cyborgs lack humor because the fusion of person and tool disables self-ironing. The requisite distance from environment is missing. 48. To project our desires onto our technologies is to court permanent psychic infancy. 49. Though this does not seem to be widely recognized, the quote, what technology wants, unquote, model is fundamentally at odds with the, quote, hacker, unquote, model. 50. The, quote, hacker, quote, model is better. Given imagination and determination, we can bend technologies to our will. 51. Thus, we should stop talking about, quote, what technology wants, unquote, and start thinking about how to cultivate imagination and determination. 52. Speaking of what technology wants is an unerring symptom of acrasia. 53. The physical world is not infinitely redescribable. But if you had to, you could use a screwdriver to clean your ears. 54. The contemporary version of the pathetic fallacy is to attribute agency not to nature but to algorithms, as though humans don't write algorithms. But they do. 55. This epidemic of forgetting where algorithms come from is the newest version of, quote, I for one welcome our new insect overlords, unquote. 56. It seems not enough for some people to attribute consciousness to algorithms. They must also grant them dominion. 57. Perhaps Loki was right. And C.S. Lewis, too. Quote, I was not born to be free. I was born to adore and obey, unquote. Fifty-eight. Any sufficiently advanced logic is indistinguishable from stupidity. Alex Tabarak. Fifty-nine. Jaron Lanier. Quote, the Turing test cuts both ways. You can't tell if a machine has gotten smarter, or if you've just lowered your own standards of intelligence to such a degree that the machine seems smart. Unquote. Sixty. What does it say about our understanding of human intelligence that we think it is something that can be assessed by a one-off test and one that is no test at all, but an impression of the moment? 61. To attribute intelligence to something is to disclaim responsibility for its use. 62. The chief purpose of technology under capitalism is to make commonplace actions one had long done painlessly seem intolerable. 63. Embrace the now intolerable. 64. Everyone should sometimes write by hand to recall what it's like to have second thoughts before the first ones are completely recorded. 65. Everyone should sometimes write by hand to revisit and refresh certain synaptic connections between mind and body. 66. To shift from typing to hand writing to speaking is to be instructed in the relations among minds, bodies, and technologies. 67. It's fine to say, quote, use the simplest technology that will do the job, quote, but in fact, you'll use the one you most enjoy using. 68. A modern school of psychoanalysis should be created that focuses on interpreting personality on the basis of the tools that one finds enjoyable to use. 
69. Thinking of a technology as a means of pleasure may be ethically limited, but it's much healthier than turning it into an idol. 70. The always connected forget the pleasures of disconnection, then become impervious to them. 71. The Dunning-Kruger effect grows more pronounced when online and offline life are functionally unrelated. 72. A more useful term than Dunning-Kruger effect is digitally amplified anosognosia. 73. More striking even than the anger of online commentary is its humorlessness. Too many people have offloaded their senses of humor to YouTube clips. 74. A healthy comment thread is a, more often than not, funny comment thread. 75. The protection of anonymity is one reason why people write more extreme comments online than they would speak in person, but not the only one. 76. The digital environment disembodies language in this sense. It prevents me from discerning the incongruity between my anger and my person. 77. Consistent pseudonymity creates one degree of disembodiment. Varying pseudonymity and anonymity create infinite disembodiment. 78. On the internet, nothing disappears. On the internet, anything can disappear. 79. Quote, to apply a categorical imperative to knowing so that instead of asking, what can I know, we ask, what at this moment am I meant to know? To entertain the possibility that the only knowledge which can be true for us is the knowledge we can live up to, that seems to all of us crazy and almost immoral. Auden. So those are the 79 theses for disputation. We'll, we'll link this, and there are links in all of it to many things that are referenced. Many that other are things. <laughs> difficult to understand without a bit of context. We're basically going to offload the show notes into some other technology. <laughs> True that. Called a blog post. Woohoo! Um, so some of these we will return to in future episodes of Winning Slowly because they are beautiful thesis statements. Some of them we have already addressed. 78 in particular was one of our early episodes mm -hmm. on how nothing disappears and anything can disappear. I can indeed say that we probably... Ha I know we haven't, and we probably won't ever reference as much Greek literature um, as, <laughs> not on as we have podcast. on this episode. <laughs> nope, not on this podcast. But uh, it does also uh, talk about Marvel, which we do talk about quite a bit. That's true. So, a quote that manages to pull Marvel's Loki and C.S. Lewis into a single line is pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I thought was interesting reading these is it's clear that at the end of the day, Jacob shares, or perhaps we share with him, a certain disposition toward technology, which is technology may be good, but technology is a very poor master, and technology as a way of orienting yourself in the world can become very bad very quickly. Technology is something you have to think about all the time, and if you fail to do so, you'll become a slave to it. And these are complicated theses that are worth thinking through, but that's definitely one of the themes that I, I took away and that I agree with strongly. Yeah, 42 is my favorite one, yes. which I feel like is the the kind of crux of the whole thing, is our current electronic technologies make competent servants, annoyingly capricious masters, and tragically incompetent gods. And so that's 
A, amazing for its conciseness or concision and its ability to draw so much together as well as to summarize our entire podcast <laughs> um, pretty much past, present, and future, that it, it's just I, I could not go without mentioning how just effective that is. Yeah. One of the things I appreciated about this list is that it is, on the one hand, very carefully structured, and on the other hand, it's sensitive to the way that narrative works and not merely logic. It is sensitive to the way that irony is helpful in making you think about things again. And it's very clear that Jacobs is extremely widely read, and not just widely read in the sense of having read both The Atlantic and Slate and The Week. Rather, widely read <laughs> in the sense of having read Aeschylus and Shaw, Bernard Shaw and Auden and many, many others. And he is able to draw things together because of that, because he has taken the time to apply Sir Francis Bacon's maxim from the beginning, to read some things with diligence and attention, and to be willing also to see things and say, oh, I'll read a part of that and move on. Which we could spend and may spend in the future a whole episode on that eighth thesis, because on the one hand, as Nick Carr has pointed out in a number of places, the internet has led us toward a, a shallower approach to reading, mm. which is clear when you see someone who is reading deeply and writing out of that kind of deep reading, as here. Right. But at the same time, there's a tendency to think that the answer to that is to read everything deeply all the time. And as Bacon points out, and as Jacob makes clear throughout as well, that's not exactly the right answer. The right answer is to stand in the correct stance toward information and toward the things to which we must pay attention. As I wrote recently for an article, some things require a harumph and nothing more. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so thank you. It's, all it's a fascinating list. Yeah. What? Oh, I was just going to say thank you to our audience for paying attention to us because as as he notes at the beginning, it it is an exchange and you are giving us your time and we we appreciate that we don't we don't take it for granted or take it lightly and we hope that uh, we are giving something to you in the terms of the exchange that you know you're enjoying it or taking information or knowledge away or being edified if we're going to use christianese older language christianese older language yeah. so it's it's not something we're going to do all the time, but it's an incredible document, and I'm certain that we'll be referring back to it pretty frequently. So we wanted to bring it to your audience, our audience's attention. Indeed. Before you go, we would like to draw your attention once again to the Middle East, Northern, and Africa, and all of that area where enormous cost in human life is being paid. In particular, as Christians, we are sympathetic to the fate of Christians who are undergoing persecution, but more broadly to the hands of people, Christian, Muslim, Jewish, atheist, atheist Baha'i, who are suffering enormously at the hands of ISIS and in civil war and so on. It's hard to know how best to respond to this kind of ongoing trouble, to know how to respond, especially without making it worse. But we as Christians would encourage other Christians to pray and in general to continue continue to consider, and we've said this before and we'll say it again, what we can do to help those who are in very desperate straits. Yeah. 
So the music at the beginning of the episode was Mind Your Manners by the Bandicoots. Please don't use it without their permission because we have used it with permission. You can find the show notes at winningslowly.org and you can subscribe to this podcast in your favorite app or in iTunes. If you like the show and want others to discover it, we'd appreciate it if you give us a rating on iTunes. And you can follow the show at, at winningslowly on iTunes or app.net. You can also find me there at, at Chris Crycho. You can find me on Twitter at, at Scaradini. Until next time, and we really do mean this, thanks for listening. Never let anybody hear about that. <laughs> Never. Now, I always delete those parts. You can find a link to their band page as well as who the show... You can find a link... <laughs> you can find a link, I can tell you! Ah, you can find there. those links. You can find those links yeah. over there! <laughs> Why don't you just say the show notes are at... <laughs> And then we should mark the pauses in some way, which is hard to do verbally, but. We can just say, Selah. <laughs> no. No. Um, and and then a pause. H-rule. we just, H-rule. Eskilos. Eskilos. Yeah, that's a German, friend. No, that's that's, that's Greek. Not it's Eskilos. It's Eskilos. Iskulos. There we go. Iskulos. 37. Quote, Western literature may have more or less begun in Aeschylus's Oresteia with a lengthy you just account. Totally, you just totally didn't do what you said you were going to do. Aeschylus? You said Aeschylus. Didn't you say Aeschylus? Probably, but it's it's Aeschylus. I'm just going to say it the way I say it at this point. All right, go for it. Go for it. 37. <laughs> Alan Jacobs, stop being so well-learned. Jose Maria uh, Arismendiarretia. Yeah, Jose I don't even Maria know how you say that in Spanish. It's uh, 23. Arismendiarretia. 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 Jose Maria Arismendiarretia. Rieta. Not not Rieta. 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 Aresmian dia Rieta. Aresmian dia. Aresmian. I'll say this one. I know what our outtakes are. Aresmian dia Rieta. Dia Rieta. But it's Rieta. Let's split it up so that I say it because my Spanish accent is slightly better than yours. But. Yeah, it is. Jose Maria Aresmian dia Rieta. There we go. Aresmian dia Rieta. 23. The internet groans in travail as it awaits its Jose Maria Arismendiarietia. <laughs> I knew I was going oh, to eat So ia. close. So close. <laughs>